This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everybody. The Hockey News Podcast is here. It's Matt Larkin here with my fellow senior writers, Ryan Kennedy and Ken Campbell. And it's time for one of my favorite podcasts of the year. We're kicking off the divisional previews for the 2019-20 NHL season. And you can find, by the way, if you want to learn more about these previews, it's in the current magazine. I'm holding it up for anyone watching on newsstands right now. You've got the Hughes brothers, Jack and Quinn. And you can pick that up. Uh, And we're going to use that as an inspiration for this style of preview we're going to do, okay? So in our magazine, each one of us is assigned to a division. And we cover that division as sort of the beat man. My beat is the Atlantic division. We're starting with the Atlantic, and I have burning questions for each team. Mm -hmm. As we go through our teams, our predicted standings, we're going to handle these burning questions. Are you guys ready? Ready. Got the oven mitts. Darn right. The oven mitts, eh? Burning questions. (laughs) Gotta handle it. it. Took me a while. It's all right. I didn't learn how to cook with an oven until I was 27. <laughs> and it was an easy bake oven. <laughs> I was always scared of easy bake ovens as a kid. I was like, that looks really hot. <laughs> Just saying. Light bulbs are terrifying. They are, you know? So uh, the predicted standings, it's a consensus of our staff, okay? So as we go through each team, it's not necessarily each one of our individual opinions of where this team will finish, but it's the hockey news staff consensus that we came to in the summer. We're going to start, of course, at the top of the Atlantic Division with the Tampa Bay Lightning, the team that tied the NHL record for wins in a season, 62 wins last year, led 3-0 in Game 1, Round 1 against Columbus, and ends up swept, one of the biggest upsets in NHL history. So I want to start there, okay? So after a choke job, that epic, I really do think it's one of the biggest upsets we've ever seen in the NHL. Uh, Do you think Tampa has recovered and will recover? We'll start with you, Ryan. Mm -hmm. I think they have recovered, and it's interesting because they had a chip on their shoulder from the season prior when they blew a series lead to the Washington Capitals, and then the Capitals obviously went on to win the Stanley Cup. I think when you get swept like that in the first round, it's obviously a huge blow, but it's almost easier to recover from because you say to yourself, well, we're definitely not letting that happen again. No matter who the opponent is, you have to be dialed in right away. You can't be looking ahead. And... You have to use those cliches of one game at a time, even one period at a time. Nobody's going to sneak up on the Tampa Bay Lightning. It doesn't matter who they play this time. I think they're going to be ready. And I'm not saying that they're going to win the Stanley Cup, but I'm saying that they're definitely not going to get swept in the first round again. They're going to be on point, and they're going to be looking at going... Well, they obviously want to go to the distance, but they're not going to look ahead enough to get tripped up again. Yeah, I I think that, um, and I've said this a lot, I think there's a lot to be said for getting a gut punch. This was, like, worse than a gut punch. This was, like, a groin punch. Mm-hmm. Right? A, groin, a groin kick? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah a, a direct kick. Yeah. And and I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Like, it, it, you look at the lineage of a lot of Stanley Cup teams, from the New York Islanders to the Edmonton Oilers uh, to, you know, Boston in 2010, Boston had a 3 nothing lead on Philadelphia. 
and a 3 nothing lead in Game 7, and they blew both of those leads and lost the series. Then the next year they won the Stanley Cup. I really, really believe there's something to this. You have to have that absolutely demoralizing gut punch to realize what it actually takes. And, and I, I, think, I think the Tampa Bay Lightning are going to be better for it that now. They're going to be better prepared. And, and I mean, it's not a question of talent. On paper, they're the best team in the league. Um, and and I think I think they're going to be better for this. I think so. And it's funny, uh, I think the day after the sweep happened, for some reason I was on the phone with Harry Sinden, the great Harry Sinden. I was interviewing him for something else, and we, we got distracted and started talking about this series. And he said, he offered that pearl of wisdom, it was one week, it was one bad week. It was an anomaly. You had, they had one bad week in April. That's all it took. And the last 62-win team in NHL history, the team that did it other than the Tampa Bay, yeah. was the Detroit Red Wings, yeah. 95-96. What did they do the year after? They didn't win the Cup that year. The year after, they did. And they yeah. won the year after that as well. They won two straight Cups. I do agree. I think Tampa is still the most talent-rich team in the league. And I, I really do think we're going to look back on, on last season as an anomaly. Um, but that said, this blue line has lost some key veterans, Dan Girardi. That might be addition by subtraction at this stage of Girardi's career. Anton Strahlman, he was banged up last year, but still an important veteran voice. has been very important to the team for several years. Uh, and you're bringing in the biggest change, of course, is Kevin yeah. Shattenkirk. What do you guys think about this decor, and is it improved with Girardi and Strahlman gone, Shattenkirk in? And I think more specifically, is Mikhail Sergachev ready to take a step forward? Mm. Yeah, I, th- I think that, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't know if it's Im- if it's drastically improved. I mean, you know, Shattenkirk pretty much replaces Girardi, right? Uh, and then and then Strawman, they couldn't really count on him because he was hurt so much. He's a really good defenseman when he's healthy and he's very, very reliable. And and if they're gonna miss anything, I think it will be it would be that element uh, to it. But then, you know, you've you've brought in Kevin Shattenkirk, a guy who's probably really, really hungry for redemption, really wants to prove himself. You've already got five defensemen ahead of him that are that are very good to to some great um and and don't forget they picked up luke chen too in mm-hmm. the summer right yeah. a, a veteran guy who's been around who probably doesn't well not probably doesn't project to be in their top six at the moment but if a guy goes down you've got a reliable veteran who can come in so i think i think all in all and then when you factor into it you know victor hedman i don't think has hit his peak yet you know uh mikhail sergachev hasn't hit his peak yet uh ryan mcdonough just seems to be as good as ever, uh, so I do. I do think there is a, a, an upgrade there. Yeah, I would agree. And I, another player to look at is Eric Chernak, who I thought has played really well in his young Tampa Bay career. And this is a player that you know I remember watching him in junior. He came over and played in the OHL, and I, I never quite saw it because the offense wasn't there, but. Tampa Bay has found the perfect slot for him. He was originally a Los Angeles yeah. Kings prospect. Yeah. Now he's with Tampa. And if you put him as that big, safe guy, the defensive defenseman, then you've got something there. It's almost like a Luke Shen scenario. And Luke Shen was kind of miscast at the beginning of his career, right, I think, right. when, when he was right. with Toronto. But Chernak really found a great spot for himself last season. And, again, you get a little more growth from him and you know that you can count on him for a certain amount of minutes, that helps everything. And I think Shattenkirk, you know, as you were saying, Ken, he's going to have some fire for him, and also he's a great puck mover. And if you can have a great puck mover on your third pairing, I mean, that's a tremendous advantage because you know that Hedman and McDonough are top-flight 
defensemen that can you know play that two-way game. The fact that you can have that variety of skill sets all throughout your defense core, I think, is a huge advantage. And I think Chernak, he's he's a bad man too. I remember we went and yeah. saw Washington yeah, Tampa yeah. Bay late in the season. We were all there, and and uh, he threw down with Tom Wilson. That's he a, did. That's like just that's like jumping on a porcupine. It's <laughs> not a not a fun thing to do. Uh, and and I do think with Shattenkirk, he's going to see much more insulated matchups now, which is huge. He's yeah, not going to be asked to do nearly as yeah. much, and yeah. he's still going to be on the power play. I'm sure. Maybe in the secondary, maybe the second unit. Tampa already had the best power play in the league, but it could be even better with Shattenkirk. Uh, but it's funny, okay? I don't want to call myself Mr. Hindsight Genius, but I did say this after the trade deadline. I thought that Tampa Bay made a mistake not adding any grit. <laughs> and I do think it did hurt them in the playoffs against a very gritty team in Columbus last year. Uh, they have added Patrick Maroon. Right. But overall, do you think this team can be physical enough or is that still a, a possible Achilles heel for the Lightning? If there is one, and and I think I said the same thing last year, if there is one, that's it. Mm. Um, that and, like, I, I, you know, I mean, did they lose because they weren't physical enough against against uh, Columbus, or did they lose just because they they choked? And 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 they those two things may be one and the same because you've got to have that you know that 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 fortitude and that you know that strength of character to be able to overcome blowing game one without losing the series so so to me i think that's all sort of part and parcel with you know is this team mature enough is this team strong enough is it resilient enough is it tough enough mentally because last year they faced no adversity so you you had no idea whether or not they could deal with adversity because they faced virtually none of it and then once they did they failed the test and i don't know that that's grit as much as it is strength of character and resilience and I think that's still a question mark for this team yeah it is a little troublesome for me that if you look at their top six you know unless they put Patrick Maroon in the top six nope. which probably not, probably not not on that team um, it's a small top six and there is it, it's a very finesse top six which is great most of the time but my worry is okay well what happens when they don't have the puck and they're not always going to have the puck. They'll have it quite a bit because yeah. they have guys like Kucherov and Braden Point and Steven Stamkos. But, you know, when the puck goes into the corner, how many of those battles would you expect Tampa's forwards to win? And that would concern me, particularly in the playoffs where a lot of games come down to two or three crucial plays. I'm not worried about a sort of a Tom Wilson factor. It's not about throwing down with somebody because you do have Chernak, who, who did lose that fight. Um, and, you do, and you do have Patrick Maroon because now. Because of course he and did. And I think he got yeah. hurt losing the fight too. I think he yeah. probably did, but that's okay. At least he stood in there. But, you know, it, it's, it's just a matter of the overall game. Because, I mean, you know, Hedman's a big guy, too. You have defensemen, and, you know, Luke Shen will fight if you need him to. I don't think it necessarily comes to that. It's just a matter of can you win battles when you need to for those forwards. I'm not sure if they can. Okay, so we can consider the nit picked. We still love yes. Tampa Bay. I think yeah. they're a great team. Still yeah. number one. Yeah, they still have that little question mark. Uh, moving on to team number two in the Atlantic, and it's funny. Uh, maybe there's a double standard here, but I'm more nervous about our number two rank because of Mitch Marner's RFA situation, even though Braden Point is also not signed. But mm. uh, it seems like the general public perception is that the Marner negotiation is more contentious. So right. keep in mind that our number two rank of the Toronto Maple Leafs uh, it was under the assumption that Mitch Marner would be ready to start the season. That's no longer a guarantee. We'll get to that. But let's start with the, the burning Toronto questions. And 
The first one is, um, did the Leafs get better defensively? We know they've changed the blue line a lot. They've added they Tyson Berry. They've added Cody Ceci. Jordan Schmaltz has a chance to make the team. Uh, and, and, you know, Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev are gone. Um, you're bringing in Barry, who's sort of a right-handed, better Jake Gardner, arguably. Cody Ceci is maybe the biggest whipping boy in the history of hockey analytics. He's right yeah. up there with, like, Rasmus yeah. Ristolainen and Dan Girardi. Um, so, to me, it looks like the strategy of, of the Leafs or Dubas is, like, doubling down on more skill and, and just defending by having the puck even more. Um, but what do you guys think? Is this team going to be any better defensively? Because we know that was the problem last well, year. Well, I think the, I think they might be in, in as much as I think their third and fourth line centers are going to make them better defensively. Mm-hmm. I think Nazem Kadri was miscast as a third-line center. Now they've got Alex Kerfoot, who actually is a third-line center. Yep. And Jason Spezza, at this point of his career, you know, obviously a hugely gifted offensive player uh, during his prime, but now I think has realized that he, you know, has to play a certain role, and especially on this team, they don't. You know, I mean, they honestly, they don't need Jason Spezza to score a goal this year. Right. You know, like, really. I mean, maybe one. Because their fourth line (laughs) center last year, Frederick Goche, didn't score a goal or scored very few of them. So I, I, I don't. I think maybe they might be a little bit better defensively because of that. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to argue though that when you get the worst analytic defenseman in the league, that you're getting better defensively, and you're make and you're putting him maybe in your top four for at least to start the season. That's a tough argument to make that you got better defensively. Um, and if they do, it's going to be from getting better you know at the front end and and defending a little better that way um you know mike babcock basically just came out first day of training camp today and said we have to be better on our own end that's the goal this year we have to be better on our own end how they do that is is going to be interesting to see how they can how they can pull that off but i think i think that the 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 depth part of it is gonna is gonna move the needle a little bit yeah and it's worth remembering that This will be a full season of Jake Muzzin in Toronto. So if you look at what they were doing at the beginning of last year versus the end, obviously it was different there. And you're going to have more Muzzin. And then when Travis Dermott comes back from injury, you get a very good young two-way defenseman, and and he'll help a, a, a lot. In the interim, you get to try some guys out. Uh, as you mentioned, Jordan Schmaltz is one. Justin Hall is somebody that I've always been a big fan of as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Tyson Berry is better than Jake Gardner defensively. And as bad as Cody CC's resume is, I, I think a lot of people in Toronto were wondering some of the same things about Nikita Zaitsev. So yeah. it's a bit of a trade-off there. But you also have the ascension of Morgan Riley. I mean, I was just talking to an NHL coach today who was saying, you know, he might have, you know, one of the best puck-moving games around. Um, He might have one of the best first passes in the NHL. And he can do it either passing the puck out of the zone or skating it out. He can do both of those things. So I I think it's an evolving blue line. It's, It's probably not where they want it to be yet. But if Travis Dermott can take another step once he gets back, I think they're at least closer to it. Mm-hmm. And Cody Ceci's also, he's a project that's probably worth buying low on. It's only for a year, and he was a first-round pick. He was someone who was projected to be a really good top-four puck-moving defenseman, maybe even projected to become a top-two defenseman on the day he was drafted. Uh, and he's still young enough that in the right situation, I don't know if Toronto was going to be the right situation, but... 
someone could tap into that. I think it's the same as Rasmus Ristolainen in Buffalo, a guy who's been maligned yeah. but maybe could use yeah. better partners. Although he's probably going to get some probably, good partners in Ottawa. Yeah, he's probably going to get one too, Rasmus Ristolainen. <laughs> yeah, true, true. Yeah. Uh, so the next question, and this has been a controversy that, you know, it, it followed Mike Babcock along all season, but especially reared its head at the end of the season when Patrick Marlowe got more minutes in the third period of Game 7 than Austin Matthews. Uh, and people have sort of, they've been tough on, you know, the, the, the radio calling crowd, the call-in show crowd, the Twitter crowd, whoever you want to mention, uh, has been tough on Babcock. Some have said that his leash is almost finished because he's old school in his ways. And even today, the, his opening season pressers was talking about really leaning on Freddie Anderson when the, the trend suggests that playing your starting goalie less is what leads to a Stanley Cup. So he does seem to have a lot of old school tendencies especially when it comes to ice time favoring the veterans. And I spoke to him in the summer. I got him in a lot of trouble because he said he thought that Matthews might work his way up to 19 minutes. And people went just crazy. I felt kind of <laughs> bad. I didn't mean to rat him out. It was just, you know, a regular interview. Um, but what do you guys think? Is Babcock in danger? Is this the year that he has to get past round one? Or does he have to get past round two even? Well, he's he's halfway through a, the richest co- coaching contract in history. And he hasn't won a playoff round yet. You know, I mean, and some of that is on him. I mean, you look back and you said it yourself. I mean, you could look back and and you could really question some of the personnel decisions that were made behind the bench. And you can equate those to, you know, the possibility that they contributed to some of those losses. So, um, yeah, no, I, I I don't think the leash is is particularly long, particularly if they. Well, I don't think they're going to get off to a terrible start or anything like mm. that. Um, but if they don't, if they fall flat on their face again in the first round this year, how can you how can you go another year with a guy who hasn't won a playoff series and makes more money when you have a GM that has that seems to have a different vision for the roster than the coach, and the GM has his guy and he's kept his guy. You know, I mean, he's kept Sheldon Keefe in the organization, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and uh, I mean, I don't profess to know what nudge, nudge, wink, wink is going on here. But I mean, Sheldon Keefe has been one of the best coaches outside the NHL for the last couple of years, and he's going back to the American League this year. And he's already won a Calder Cup. He has nothing left to prove. I mean, he doesn't have a lot left to prove as a minor league coach coaching in the second-best league in the world. And the AHL is the second-best league in the world. The KHL isn't. The AHL is. Um, But, but, uh, I mean, what does that tell (laughs) you? I mean, what it tells me is that the leash, it's fine until the playoffs. I, I totally agree on that. I think, you know, what we can parse from this is that Mike Babcock has the confidence of ownership. He has the confidence of Brendan Shanahan. That will take you pretty far, you know, and as you're saying, you can fall on your face a couple of times, but I think we're at the point now where he's kind of used his last get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm -hmm. And if they lose again in the first round, how do you justify that to the fan base that you're hanging on to this guy versus trying something new, trying Sheldon Keefe, when we know that money is not an issue for ownership. I mean, that's the the tremendous advantage Toronto has in a salary cap system, that they can spend whatever they want on coaches, scouting, administration, whatever it is, they can get it for their players. And if they have to eat a couple of years of salary, even on the biggest deal ever, 
they can do that. They can afford to stroke that $6.25 million check and, and exactly. for it not to be Everybody's, a huge issue. It's an issue. They have shareholders yeah. and they have to answer to them, but it's not as Everybody's big an issue. cable bill yeah. just goes up a couple of dollars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the thing with Babcock is a lot of people say, well, the Leafs have been very successful. They had their most points in franchise history two seasons ago. You know, he's got them to the playoffs every year, but the exaggerated point I always make is. I feel like it would be hard not to get that team to the playoffs, like talent-wise. Yeah. Wow, it's hard yeah. to screw that up. That's that's yeah. the, that's the bar we're setting. That, right. and, and I guess how maybe you, that is the bar we're setting because that team? maybe that is the bar we're setting because it's they haven't they hadn't made it for so long. But I mean, Pat Quinn was here for six years. He took him to the conference final twice mm-hmm. with a team that wasn't near as good as this one. Nope. Not even near as good as this one. Yeah. That's right. Uh, next question is William Nylander. Do we believe that he has his groove back now that he's had a full summer? He's going to get a proper training camp in, preseason schedule. He's going to have his legs caught up to his teammates. Is this going to be a big bounce back year for William Nylander? I think it will be. And I think in a sort of twisted way, the fact that Mitch Marner's in the spotlight now will help William Nylander because people will forget. They've moved on from one contract controversy to the next. And I think Nylander can just do his thing now and... We saw it at the Worlds. When he's playing his best yeah. hockey, he's incredible. And I, it's funny because, you know, I, I talked to him over the summer at the NHLPA golf tournament in a, in a scrum, and he was saying how much he loves that kind of hockey at the Worlds, which is different from the NHL. You know, they're over in Europe, bigger rinks and whatnot. But I, I still think he can operate offensively in quite the same capacity. I think it's going to be a bounce-back year for him. And then... The other question is, depending on how long the Marner contract situation goes on, does it have the same impact on Marner? Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I And I wrote this in my blog. Every day that those RFAs miss out of training camp is a day they're further behind their teammates. And that is just simple. It, it's It's been proven historically time and time again that the, that, that the more time you miss, and even training camp is, is important, the, the harder it is for you to catch up. So there's no question about that. I do think William Nylander is going to get his groove back. I don't know if he's going to be as productive as he was two years ago, but I think he's going to be a lot better because he's can't be worse and 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 also you know in the words of mike babcock he's a good player good, good player good player good man you know good player right <laughs> so um he's he's a good player though like he's he and if he has a chance to play on the top line i mean with that level of talent um yeah i think i think a bounce back is in the cards for sure mm-hmm. and i think if you look at the shot attempt data it, it suggested that nylander was actually pretty dominant his effect on possession but he was just unlucky with his shooting percentage so mm-hmm. that should regress we should see a positive regression there. And to me, the big thing was, will Nylander have to earn his way back onto the top line? I think it's a really good sign that today, uh, Babcock was quoted saying that Kapanen would be the guy to play with Tavares in Marner's spot if he's not signed. And if to me, what that says is, okay, Nylander must have been already penciled in on mm-hmm. line one. Because mm-hmm. otherwise he would have said Nylander. Mm-hmm. Right? So it sounds like Nylander is going to get his shot to play with Matthews and Andreas Janssen from day one. And I think that that's going to lead to a big bounce back season. Before we finish with the Leafs, just one quick question. Mitch Marner in the lineup opening night or not? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say yes, but I think it might take the identical contract to Austin Matthews, the Kane and Taves thing to which get it Leafs, done. Which the Leafs are loath yes, to give. absolutely. <laughs> I agree. We continue the Atlantic Division preview with our number three predicted team, and I can already hear the angry mob saying, I can't believe it! You put Boston third after they beat the Leafs 
In the playoff two years in a row, you put them behind the Leafs? What is that? that that's that's my <laughs> voice. First of, all, first of all, I'm part of the angry mob. Yes. Secondly, I don't know anybody who talks uh, like that's that. That's my voice. What is that? That's my voice for every like <laughs> like social media person that freaks out. Like when you do if a Reddit list, could talk. Yeah, when you do a list of players and there's always responses to say like, no so and so. I can't believe you didn't put so and so in your top ten. I'm not even reading this. That, like that's that's that guy. Oh, okay. So okay. that guy to me is gonna freak out that we have the Leafs over the Bruins. Oh my God, you. Homers, Toronto Hockey News. But the reason, of course, being the Boston Bruins, the team, the roster is virtually unchanged. The Leafs spent the summer making significant roster changes. They were close to the Bruins in the standings. They finished below. They pushed Boston to Game 7. You take a team that went to Game 7 with the Leafs, the Boston Bruins, you add virtually nothing to the roster. You take Marcus Johansson off the roster. Yeah, they also went to Game 7 in the yes. Stanley Cup Final and won two more, won two more series. Of course. Yeah. But the Leafs and Bruins, I mean, the Leafs were they were, they were neck and neck, right? So what, what we're saying right. is we predict the Leafs will have a better regular season because they were close to Boston. Boston's team is virtually unchanged, and this team is getting a lot older. Yeah. But it does tie to my first of the burning questions, which is, is status quo good enough for this Bruins team? They were sort of hamstrung. Don Sweeney was hamstrung because of the RFA contracts needed to figure out for uh, Brandon Carlo and Charlie McAvoy. You couldn't do anything with this roster. But at the same time, great team. Game good. seven of the cup final. Yeah. Is it okay that this team is almost the same? Oh, I definitely think so. And this is the sort of squad where they don't have to finish first in their division. This is the type of team that it's like, get in and you have the elements to win the Stanley Cup. Tuka Rask proved once again in the playoffs that he is a top-tier netminder. You have Charlie McAvoy on the back end, uh, obviously playing with Zidane Chara, but McAvoy has really become the driver on that pairing as he becomes uh, even more entrenched as an NHLer. And then, of course... You have Patrice Bergeron, one of the best players ever, particularly when it comes to a two-way game, mm -hmm. and he's still going. I mean, there can be questions, and I know we'll talk about it later, about Father Time, but if you're looking at this lineup, and again, with a full season of Charlie Coyle as well, who came over the trade deadline, I think they can easily make the playoffs, especially in this division, and they can still make noise, even though they didn't do much in the summer. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, I don't know how you would change this team. Um, aside from, you know, does David Backus become the the <laughs> richest healthy scratch player in the history of the NHL? Um, you know, so, so you, you know, I mean, you've got sort of questions like that to deal with. But, I mean, this team, for the most part, for most of the regular season, for most of the playoffs until the last couple of games – was a was a, pretty much a juggernaut. Oh, like, yeah. they, like they were, they had it going. And um, I mean, yeah, I mean they've got some they've got some age for sure. They've got some age issues. But you know, do you really think Zdeno Chara's game is going to fall off the map? Uh, it may, and it and it may be someday. But I, I don't know. I mean, that guy is a beast. Um, you know, they've got the they've got the best first line in hockey, in my opinion. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, that's not going to change. I mean, I don't think Patrice Bergeron is is going to is going to get any worse. David Pasternak is is a good regular season player, and Brad Marchand is 
could be a hundred point guy for the next couple of years. I, I think this is a team that's that's set. I would not be surprised to see this team back in the Stanley Cup final in in twenty twenty. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. I wouldn't be surprised either. Um, but I'm also not ready to anoint them the class of the East immediately, just because in this era of parity where you see so much turnover, we saw five new teams, I believe, in the playoffs last year compared to the year before. Mm. I always wonder if status quo is death. If you don't continuously improve your team and always try to keep it up to date and getting better and you don't make even just little changes, I think it's pretty hard to stay exactly as competitive as you, as you were the year before, especially when you have a mostly veteran team, which even though we, you know these guys are freaks of nature, it's science. You do age. We're, and again, we're going to get to that with one of our, our other questions. But the next question I want to ask is about Charlie McAvoy. Uh, he is someone who I think everyone loves his game. He was always supposed to be fantastic coming out of school, first round pick. Uh, he's someone I always, he kind of reminded me of Drew Doughty, even his build, sort of mm-hmm. stocky, can do yep. it all. Yep. Great puck mover, but can play with an edge to his game, underrated edge to his game as well. Uh, but Charlie McAvoy also hasn't really put it together for a full regular season, hasn't stayed healthy, hasn't had that Norris contention kind of season. So after seeing what he did in the playoffs, is this the year he finally puts it together? Well, he's also in this RFA boat. Mm-hmm. Right, and mm-hmm. if he doesn't get signed and he misses part of the season, then the answer to that question may very well be no, mm. um, because he's he's going to spend three or four months catching up. So I think his contract situation is going to be a big part of that. If he can get that squared away and be in camp and and you know start the season, then um, you would think there's going to be some upward a, a tick mm-hmm. upward there. Yeah, I definitely think he can become elite. I think he can be one of the best defensemen in the game. It's interesting. A couple of years ago at the draft, I met with somebody that ran an analytics company, and NHL teams were his clients. And I was asking him, you know, you know, he did a lot of draft stuff. And I was like, okay, so based on your projections, do you say like, oh, so-and-so should have been higher? And he was like, yeah, like Charlie McAvoy, for example. He should have gone a lot higher in his draft class than he actually huh. did. And you fast forward a couple of years now, it's like, yeah, Charlie McAvoy is pretty good. Now, the Drew Daddy comparison is pretty interesting where, yeah, he's hard hitting. He's really skilled. He can log a ton of minutes. I still remember that classic World Junior Gold Medal game where McAvoy and Team USA beat Canada in Montreal. Thomas Shabbat was the workhorse for Canada. Yeah. Charlie McAvoy was the workhorse for Team USA. And for me, it's just kind of a matter of time and... The Norris is the one trophy where I feel that the writers that vote on it almost there's turns yes. for the Norris. Like certain guys have to get it's all about it being due. Yeah, you yeah. do. So you know, Victor Hedman got his, and then you know, like Eric Carlson's obviously got a couple. Um, but I feel like. You know, there might be one or two guys that it's going to be their turn before Charlie McAvoy. I think John Carlson. John Carlson, (laughs) Seth Jones would be another one. Yeah, Seth Jones for sure. For sure. But after them, I think Charlie McAvoy, maybe in sort of three years we see the case for Charlie McAvoy and Norris. Yeah, like right here, right now, as it stands, I'm not sure that... Tory Krug is not a more important piece of that Boston Bruins defense than Charlie McAvoy. And yet he's always in trade rumors. I never understand him. Like, you don't mm. trade Tory Krug. He's so good. See, yeah. I almost think McAvoy... Yeah, I mean, well, they, they, they've got to keep him now. They've oh, got to yeah. keep him this year, and then they're faced 
to have to face the music next year because yeah. he's going to be a UFA. I yeah. understand your Krug love, but I almost feel like I, Charlie McAvoy is like a bigger Tory Krug. He's like Brandon yeah. Carlo plus yeah. Tory Krug together. Even <laughs> size-wise, like together, they yeah, make yeah, Charlie yeah. McAvoy. Right, right, right. And yeah. all of their skills, like you just yeah. fuse them together. Yeah. And I do. I shouldn't mention a disclaimer that you know by the time we, we leave the studio, we're going to walk out of the room and find out that every RFA signed while we were recording this. <laughs> yeah, totally. So we is apologize. Is that smirking when yes. I said that? Yes, okay, yes. I was yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. that. I was like, man, yeah. everyone's going to sign. Damn yeah, it. But you, yeah, but but nothing we can do about that, okay? Nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay? Uh, and the next question, we've, we've already sort of touched on it. Uh, it's father time. And I know, Ken, you mentioned Zdeno Char was, is a beast. But the counterpoint is, Yarmir Yager was a beast too. He was working out with his weight belts, a freak of nature, Chris Chelios. All of those guys were beasts. Just to get into your 40s still playing mm-hmm. in the NHL, it takes a beast. Mm-hmm. But even for those guys, even those freaks of nature, all of a sudden, when you're into your mid or early to mid 40s, boom, it disappears. Uh, and I don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen eventually to Char. And also Patrice Bergeron uh, has missed, I think, you know, 15, 17 games each of the past couple seasons. You don't want him playing the whole season. Yes. <laughs> but my point point being, you know, Bergeron you want is healthy. 34 now. <laughs> and should we be starting to worry? Uh, you know, Bacchus already has aged out of being a relevant piece. David Krejci is getting into his early to mid-30s as well. Mm-hmm. Are we worried yet about age catching up to Boston? Or do you think they can still keep it going? I'm a little bit worried. I think that if they can escape this season relatively injury-free, then that's great for their window. And as Ken said, you know they could be a cup contender. After that, it sort of gets into murky territory where you say, okay, well, how long can... Because it's not just the age, it's how many miles. And like right. Bergeron has had a lot of tough miles. David Krejci has had a lot of tough miles. Uh, Chara to a lesser extent because he is so huge. But at the same time, yeah, eventually he's just going to become too slow. Um it's not this year, but it might be next year. It might be this year. Though. It might be this yeah, year. I mean, there will be kids coming up. The fact that they traded away, like a Ryan Donato, so they get Charlie Coyle, that hurts in the short term a bit. And then, you know, you have a guy like uh, Jacob Forsbacker Carlson, who I think they wanted to see a little bit more from at this point in his career. That kind of stalls things. But, you know, Johnny Beecher, who they got in the first round, this year, he is an absolute burner. And he obviously, sounds like a villain in a surf movie, by the way. Totally. The Johnny, Johnny Beecher. Beecher. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he's headed to the University of Michigan this fall. I don't think he's going to be a four-year guy, but he'll probably be a, a, you know, maybe a two-year guy. Um, so they're going to have to wait a little bit for a player like that. But he's the perfect guy to inject in an older lineup because he has amazing wheels and he has size. Mm-hmm. But there's going to be that period in between where I think it's going to be a little bit dicey where, you know, if Chara has like a little injury, if Bergeron gets a little banged up, then you kind of say like, okay, well, we're going to have to lean on some guys who may not be ready to get leaned on yet. But, and I I will counter that with Mm. the fact that in the Stanley Cup final, the Bruins got virtually nothing from their top six forwards. All the damage that was done was done by their bottom six, the Sean Corrales. Two of which are gone. Yeah. Noel Achari, right. Marcus Johansson yeah. are gone. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So so I I do think there is that there is that depth there that, that, that they can they can do that. But but yeah, I mean but then the other side of it is is yeah, when things got going tough, the older guys stalled. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that is a that is a 
that's a that's a concern. And there's a debate. I loved it this week. There was a debate on Twitter. It was what's the age at which you can no longer dive for a ball in softball? And uh-huh. it, it sort of brought back memories because like I've I've re- I'm 35. I'm right on the line now. If like if I if a line drive is hit, I'd be like. Eh. Whereas when I was like 27, I'm diving absolutely. And it kind of applies to char. It's like it happens. Like the the threshold from diving for a ball and not diving, all of a sudden it's this one season you're you're just not doing it anymore. And <laughs> char could no longer be diving for softballs any one of these years. He could just wake up and realize he doesn't have that extra gear in him anymore. Right. And it just happens all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It's aging, man. Next up in our Atlantic preview, we have a team that I think is going to inspire a debate, probably between me and Ken, <laughs> the Florida. Panthers, a team that we have on the playoff bubble. Some of us think this is a playoff team. Some want them to prove <laughs> to them that they are a playoff team. Uh, but we're going to start with the, the one part of the Panthers that I think we can agree on is a problem, and that's slow starts. And if you look at the last couple of seasons, okay, 6-10-4 over their past two Octobers, and the problem is Sergei Bobrovsky, they signed him, fantastic, going to upgrade their goaltending. They were 30th in save percentage last year, amazing. But guess guess what Bobrovsky's worst month is historically? October! <laughs> and guess who Florida plays in its first two games of the year, back-to-back, Tampa Bay. Nice. And how many road games does Florida Nine. have? Nine. How many home games? Four in October. Oh, my God. So is Florida going to stumble out of the gate yet again? What happens? Uh, it's it's hard to, like, lay all that on what is going to be a new team. I mean, yeah, you got history going against you there. But with Joel Quenville behind the bench, I think at least they have a steadying influence, a guy who says, like, Look, boys, I've seen everything. And as soon as you get on, you know, say they drop those first two games against Tampa Bay, I don't think it's going to be a crisis. But I think Quenville's the type of guy who can say, okay, we got to just like figure this out, like get ready for game three, put it behind you. I'd also say, you know, with Keith Kincaid, well, sorry, not Keith Kincaid, I mean, they got Samuel Montembeau as a potential backup, young guy. Maybe get some starts out of him if Bobrovsky drops the first two. Or maybe you play him one and see what happens. You at least have an option there where it's early enough you can try some things out and hopefully you can just sort of grit through the month. And the other thing is maybe maybe they break the mold this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I told you about my dream, the dream I had last oh, night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I had a dream last night that it was the first night of the NHL season and Pittsburgh beat Florida 12-8. <laughs> <laughs> That would be amazing. Yeah. That would be awesome. Um, but, um, well, they're, they're, they're going to have to. I mean, they're going to have to get this particular flaw out of their game. if they Because the problem with Florida is they've started so badly that it doesn't matter how well they play in the second half of the season. They're already out of it by almost, usually by Christmas, certainly by mid-January. Um, and as you say, they play Tampa twice. Um, Bobrovsky had a terrible October in Columbus last year. And I don't, I, I, I think, they're going to have to let him play through it, even if even if that happens again. They're going to have to play right through it. Um, I, I wonder if the fact that Florida isn't a traditional hockey market hurts them in this respect, because there's a reason why they have nine road games in in, in October and mm-hmm. four home games, because nobody goes to the, the home games in October because it's high school and college football season. Yeah. And so that, I think, hurts them in mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, sort of getting their own fan base generi- gen- uh, energized. And then, you know, you come out of the first month, you're 3-10. Th- and 10. Well, that's, that's a tough road from there. 
there, right? So mm-hmm. the good thing about it is, is if they can come out of this, out of this October at say seven, eight, four, and one, yeah. or seven, seven, four, and two, or something, then you, you, you're, you're through it, and you, mm-hmm. and then you move, and you've got some positive energy. That's fair. Uh, and let's stay on Bobrovsky for a little bit. Um, you know, uh, arguably the the most significant available UFA goalie since Ed Belfour. Belfour was a multi-Vezina Trophy winner when he was available to the Stars in 97. Bobrovsky's available now. He signs the big contract. Uh, and, of course, there's a lot of pressure on him to be the savior. Goaltending has arguably, arguably been the reason the Panthers have missed the playoffs the last few seasons mm-hmm. as Luongo just aged out of a great career. Uh, so do you think Bobrovsky is going to be the man? And is he going to be a good fit? He's, is he going to be the savior? I, I think he will be. And if you think back to last year, he got off to a bad start in Columbus. He also had a huge black cloud over him, with which was his contract status. Pretty much everybody knew he was not coming back to Columbus. That's an awkward situation to be kind of a, a mercenary on your own team where, you know, you're going for it and he can say all the right things, but it, it had to be weird for the Blue Jackets to know that in the grand scheme of things, he was going somewhere else. And if they didn't win at all, then he was just going to go win it all somewhere else. He doesn't have that now. He has the security of a big long-term contract. Uh, you know, the spotlight is even smaller in Florida than it was in Columbus. He can just go out and play, and it's just a new start all around. I, I think that could help him. Yeah, and and I think he's he's going to have to be the savior if if they're going to get out of this. It's going to be he's going to have to be a big part of it. But this team is going to have to be better in their own end. This was a team that was really really bad defensively uh, last year, and it's just it, they're just going to have to be better. Whether it comes from within or without, um, they're going to have to be a better team. And and I don't think you can expect a goaltender, even one of Sergei Bobrovsky's ilk, to be able to single handedly. Uh, get you back into the you know into the playoffs and be in a contending team. Um, it's part of the it's part of the puzzle, but it's not all of the puzzle. I think when they were that bad, because they, again they were thirtieth. I think his impact in this case will be really significant. And it's funny, you know, if you look at the goalies of the decade, people would probably say, you know, let's say the last 10 years, the best goalies are probably Carey Price and Henrik Lundqvist. Pekka Rene would be in that discussion. But I think Bobrovsky is someone who deserves love. He's the only one of that group who's won the Vezina twice. Mm-hmm. And there's a stat that mm-hmm. I really love called goals saved above average. And it sort of adds up, like the Coles notes, it adds up a bunch of analytics and says, how many goals did you save compared to what the league average goalie would save? So how many more goals did you prevent? And in the last several seasons combined, Bobrovsky is like easily the leader in that stat so that's sort of I at least from what I understand the analytics community say it's one of the best stats to measure how important a goalie is and uh, he's 30 years old which in goalie years is not that old no. and he's really changed his body and I remember doing the story a few years back and he said that you know he wasn't out of shape but he was getting hurt a lot a lot of soft tissue injuries and he slimmed down to the point where he was like skinny like very svelte he lost 20 pounds and ever since he did that he became a lot more flexible and he stopped getting hurt and he's become this real workhorse so his impact is going to be so big because he's going to play I think 60 games plus uh, so I, I'm a believer um, but let's talk about Joel Quenville a little bit obviously has that amazing pedigree uh, coming in three Stanley Cups and a team that you know like you said Ken has been bad defensively but most of Quenville's Chicago teams were very strong defensively yep. uh, what is this impact going to be how significant is Quenville going to be helping this team enormous mm-hmm. in, in a word enormous yep. and uh, I think the one area where he is, I think I've always thought that 
Joel Quenville's strongest attribute as a coach is his is his ability to make in game adjustments. Um, he mm-hmm. knows who's going and he knows who's not, and he leans on the guys that are going. So that means Alexander Barkov, who averaged already averaged twenty five minutes a game last year, is probably going to be a guy that. He's really gonna lean on, and but but I, I I mean you know you mentioned it before Ryan he's seen everything he's done everything he's won everything he's he's been through teams that have rebuilt he's dealt with young players he, he's done it all and and I think that and the the fact that his like I think he's I think he's easily I, I think he is the best bench coach in the NHL um, without he's without peer in that respect mm. and you look at the roster that he has. To work with, he's got a lot of good players. More importantly, a lot of good two-way players. You think of those Chicago Blackhawks teams that he won with, and you had Taves, and you had Keith and Seabrook, all guys who are fantastic two-way players. And then you look at these Panthers, Barkov, you know, like he's going to be a Selkie candidate for years. You look at Aaron Ekblad and Mike Matheson, like those are good two-way players on the back end. So Quinville has players that he can work with who are already very far along. Now it's just a matter of him pointing them in the right direction as he sees fit. And I'm sure when you come with a resume like that, it's not hard to get buy-in from a franchise that is really starved for success and consistency behind the bench. Yeah, I agree. I think this is going to be the year they get over the hump. And they just, like, not only are they, do they have a lot of high-end talent, they have depth, and they have upside, which is just scary to me. Like, it, you know, you have in that top six, Uberdo, Barkov, and Jenny Dodonov, Mike Hoffman, Vincent Trocek. Those five guys are already outstanding for any top six. But then if Henrik Borgstrom, maybe he gets a shot to move up and play on the right wing in the top six, or he's your third-line center, if Owen Tippett makes the team and yep. busts out as a right winger. Like, there's so much upside on top of the existing talent that... Uh, to meet the floor, the Panthers, I've said before on the podcast, their upside isn't just make the playoffs. Their upside is contend for the Stanley Cup. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but I think they have as high a ceiling as any mm. team in the league now. Just I'm Missouri on them. I'm Missouri. <laughs> you on want them. them to prove it, right? Yeah, absolutely. But we've said all these other things. We said all these things about them in previous years. But they didn't they have Quenville. All guys, they had all yeah. those guys in previous but years. But they didn't have Quenville yeah, Mabrowski. I know. I know. Just saying. Yep. So next up, we're gonna now we're getting to sort of the playoff bubble. Okay, the right. teams that you know maybe they're gonna get in, maybe not, depending on who makes it from the Metro. But the Metro looks very competitive, so I think it's gonna probably be four, maybe even three in the Atlantic. So now you know we're getting to the teams that are in trouble. Number five, we've got the Montreal Canadiens, a team that was close last year. They were very plucky, uh, but I think a problem they had last year. Uh, that you know eventually might have done them in was they were not an elite offensive team. Max Domi had a great year, but you could argue that even though Domi was fantastic, he's still you know on a really good team, more of a number two center. Uh, and does Montreal have a number one center? They have a lot of candidates. They have mm. Esperi Kotkaniemi who, who could become one. You could. have you have Nick Suzuki who could become one, and you have Philip Deneau who can play the minutes of one in a shutdown role. You have so many guys that are options. But and of course Ryan Paling, Mister Hattrick in the yep. last hey, game of the year, which I think is going to hurt him. Career, career goals <laughs> per game of three. Yeah, three. Good. <laughs> but do, does anybody step up? And does Montreal? Do they need to have a number one center? And do they have one this year? Yes, they need one. No they, no, they do not have one yet. And I think the key is this is a nice year where you can have an open competition with, between Kakanyemi, Paling, and Suzuki. You can say to them, all right, boys, figure it out on the ice. Step up. Who wants it? Because in a year or two, I think any of those kids 
could seize that role. Even though Paling and Suzuki will be rookies and Kakinami is just a second-year guy, you know, we've seen this around the league where if you're good enough, you can seize that number one role. And maybe those guys don't have the same pedigree as an Austin Matthews or a Connor McDavid or a Jack Eichel, but, you know, with Paling and Suzuki, they're a little bit older already. And, and I'm saying, you know, a year or two down the line. So this is the prove-it year where they can yeah. get their feet wet, establish their personalities on the ice, and, and show what they can do. And then it becomes a race to the top, which is great for Montreal. And then you can also put Domi back to his natural spot on the wing. But I think this year it's still going to be kind of a chemistry experiment. Yeah, this one I think is, is going to have to be more, more by committee. Um, because, I mean, you look at Max Domi and, and even... Like even during his draft year, and 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 I don't think anybody ever projected him as being a number one center in the right. NHL, a really good number two, or yeah. maybe a, maybe he was or a number winger, one, yeah. maybe he was a winger, yeah. yeah. But I, I think you know I think right now he could he could be a really good number two, um, but not a number one, and it's I think it's 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 too much to expect their younger guys to be able to jump up and and eat those minutes and not not only those minutes but but you've got to take on those matchups right yes so you're the montreal canadians number one center you're going nose to nose with patrice bergeron for eight games of the year right mm-hmm. um you know you're going nose to nose with jack eichel you're going with dylan larkin you're you know i mean those are those are tough those are tough matchups yeah larkin family yeah, <laughs> yeah. um so yeah so I, I think it's going to be by committee this year um but it's no they don't have a number one center but no it's not what it was a couple of years ago when it looked right. like that's where you went to die if you were a center. Yeah, their depth, you know? their depth I mean, is yeah. pretty good now. Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, this was going to be one of our later questions, but we're already talking about Max Domi, so let's jump ahead and talk Max Domi. Uh, do we believe that the bust out that we saw from Max Domi was the real deal, or was that going to eventually be something we look back on as a one-year blip? What do you think? Are you a believer? I'm a believer. Yeah. I think. And again, I see him long-term on the wing, but when he gets to the wing, it's going to be because he has an awesome young center to play with, and I think that will keep his numbers up where they they were last year, maybe even go further past that. I feel like he's well-suited for Montreal. I know, Ken, you've mentioned that before. He's in a good spot. He likes where he is. He's feeling his role in the team. He can do a lot of stuff out there. I think this is the Max Domi that we all expected when he was drafted in the first round. Uh, it's just that he's doing it in Montreal instead of Arizona. Yeah. A couple of things. First of all, I don't think he's a one-year wonder. He, let's not forget, he had a very good rookie year. But then he was terrible for right, a couple of right, years. Right, right, yeah. right. But, but so it's not, you know, I mean, this is more of a bounce back. Maybe mm-hmm. he's showing the player that he is now uh, that he's always been, right? Um, and I, we talked to him at the... Um, preseason media tour in Chicago and he acknowledged yeah he needs to be accountable he needs to be held accountable he needs to you know have people stop him in the street and take him to task for his play if he's not playing well he grew up the son of of a of a very high profile player in a very big hockey market so he's used to that and i think he thrives on that i think i think personally i think playing in arizona was hurt him mm. because there was no accountability he's the there. reverse phil kessel yeah right? yeah there's no accountability there you're not going to be called into account for a lot of the things you do you're on a team that's not very good so you're not in danger of losing your spot um so i think all of those things combined you know and now he's in a situation where he's got to do it or else he's going to hear about it in both languages and that's not fun and so i, th- I think that brings up the best no 
Good point. And, and I'm going to quote myself from the magazine. Oh, uh, one thing, one thing <laughs> that I do like to do sometimes when we're looking at a year to find if it's an anomaly or not is just look at the under-the-hood stats of what the guy's doing when he's actually on the ice other than just actually putting the puck in the net. And if you look, he set career best in shots per 60 minutes, shot attempts per 60 minutes, scoring chances per 60 minutes, high danger chances per 60 minutes, rebounds created per 60 minutes. So that's telling you that yep. it's not like he got a few bounces and it's going to regress. He, every shift, all year long, was Engaged. a much more dominant yep. player in mm. every facet of the game offensively. So I, I think he's here to stay as a pretty solid, you know, second-tier scoring player. Uh, let's talk Carey Price. And it's a weird question, I know, to say, you know, will Carey Price stay healthy because we can't predict his health? But it is very strange that he has this pattern of healthy hurt, healthy hurt. It seems every year he, he can deliver that 60-plus game season or give or take uh, once every two years, and then he gets hurt again. Should we be worried because of that pattern that it's going to happen again? Or do you think that's an anomaly and we just can't really, you know, predict that kind of thing? I mean, I would be worried more so because he's getting older and he already has this injury history yeah. behind him. Uh, it's it's not going to get better. As we all know at this table, your body doesn't get better with age necessarily. Mine has. Well, you're the exception, of course. Yes. <laughs> with all the jogging you do. Yeah. Jogging. Yo- it's yeah. called, it's pronounced yoga. Jogging. Yeah. Apparently, you just run. Exactly. This is running. Um, but that would be my concern. And, I mean, they, they did bring in Keith Kincaid. Uh, so they do have a legit backup who can take minutes on. And I think Carey Price, if you're going to use him effectively at this stage in his career, you have to make sure he's not doing the back-to-backs, the three and four games Keith Kincaid can give you competent goaltending where you can give Price the nights off he needs, and that could really elevate him. I mean, you look at some of the older goalies in the league, Pekka Rene, still going to Nashville, but they have the safety blanket of UC Saros behind him where they're not afraid to play their backup because they know they're still going to get good starts there. I think bringing in Kincaid to spell Price when he can will do wonders for Price in the long run. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ryan. And you've you've been the the, the guy that's pounded the table on this for not literally. Not I just me. literally pounded the podcast. Stephen didn't like that. Table. He didn't like thumbs down. <laughs> thumbs down. You, you've been the audio. My you've audio. Been, you've been the big one for load management among goalies. And this came up again last week in Chicago at the players thing. A lot of people were asking about load load management because the Toronto Raptors did it in the NBA. And and nobody really that we talked to could see it coming with players because there's so much parity in the league that you have to win every night. But you can see it coming with goalies. Yeah. And I think I think when Carey Price was younger you could maybe blame injuries on him not being as well conditioned as he maybe could be. I don't think that's the case now. I think any injuries he might have would just be wear and tear or bad luck. And you can't do much about that other than to have a good support net, which they've got, you know, which they've got with Keith Kincaid. Um, so I, I do think that that's going to be, you know, I mean, that the sweet spot, you know, he's a workhorse, but the sweet spot for him would be, below like 60 or you know somewhere in the high 50s i think well i'm glad you mentioned that number because the stat is i I calculated a few months ago i believe it's nine of the past 10 stanley cup winning goalies played fewer than 60 games in the regular season so there you go now we're getting to 
the mm, hanging by a thread in the playoff race here in the Atlantic, number six, we have the Buffalo Sabres, a team that we've been just waiting to see them break through. And, you know, I'll let a bias leak through. I just love this market. I think Buffalo deserves a good hockey team. They have really devoted fans. The TV ratings in Buffalo, even when the team's not contending, are so strong. This is a city that just deserves yeah. good hockey. So I'm rooting for you, Buffalonians. Um, is this the year we're finally going to see a breakthrough? We have seen some major overhauls. Um, I guess let's start with the coaching. Ralph Kruger, one of the biggest wild cards in the NHL. He had a little cup of coffee with Edmonton. He worked magic with Team Europe at the World Cup. Then he was working in the English Premier League uh, as a chairman, I think, of Southampton. Southampton. Yeah. So what do we think about Ralph Kruger? And uh, I think Ken, I think you've written more about Ralph than Ryan and I have, so we'll start with you on this one. Well... <sighs> I mean, you, you asked two questions. The first one you asked was, you know, is this is this the year they break through? And I, I'm I'm not convinced this is the year they break through. Just and through no fault of their own, um, they're in a hard, they're in the toughest division in hockey. You could say, right? Yeah. You've got the big three. You've got Montreal, and Florida's gotten a lot better. That doesn't leave a lot of room uh, unless you you know you really improve by leaps and bounds. So if it's an incremental improvement. Probably not, um, but it can be. I think. I think Ralph Kruger is is a guy that that uh, you know. I mean, just because he went and coach didn't coach, he was the president of a soccer team for a couple of years. I don't think that's a a strike against him. Guys leave the coaching fraternity for two three years, come back and they're and they're successful. So I don't think that's going to be a problem at all. I think Ralph Kruger is a guy that. Uh, you know, this is a team that scream is screaming for structure. I've wa- I watched them play a couple of times against Phil Housley, and I didn't like. I'm no I'm no Toe Blake, but I didn't have a clue what the hell they were thinking out there half the time. I liked your Freudian slip that you said against Phil Housley. Oh, the, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, Phil Housley can coach defense and run a hell of a power play. Yeah. I, I I I was I was clueless as to what his system was for the most part in Buffalo. This guy will bring that in. This guy is very 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 much a player's coach. He's, he he goes, as you say, he goes under the hood, right? He talks to players. He wants to know who they are. He wants to know what makes them tick. He's met with a lot of guys. A lot of the guys have... have Jack Eichel said he's super, super impressed uh, with Ralph Kruger. So that's going to be a guy they're going to want to play for to have success. So I think that experiment's going to be fine. Yeah. The only thing I would add, too, is... You know, people say like, oh, you know, he didn't last long in Edmonton. Nobody lasts long in Edmonton these days. I thought, you know, that season he actually did a pretty good job coaching up the players. The fact that Oilers management and ownership pulled the plug early on Ralph Kruger is not an indictment on Ralph Kruger. It's an indictment on Oilers management and ownership. I think if if you had seen him stick around for a couple of years – you would have had a lot more consistency around that team, especially those young guys. Neil Yakupov, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, Jordan Everly, Taylor Hall. Um, you know, only one of those guys is still on the team. And there's been about four coaches since Kruger, and things haven't really changed. So I, I think he was an NHL coach, and he had some bad fortune as to what his first job was. But we'll get a better sense now hopefully in Buffalo, where they give him a couple of years to get his system 
and implement it. Right. A great example, if you look at who were the coaches in the Stanley Cup final last year, Craig Brube and Bruce Cassidy, both guys that failed in yeah. on their first yeah. forays. Yeah. Um, what do we think about this this overhaul of Buffalo's defense core? Because it looks like now, that it, the good news is, you know, they added Brandon Montour at the trade deadline last year. They trade for Colin Miller. They trade for Henry Yokiharu. Uh, but if you add in Rasmus Ristolainen still, and once he's healthy, Zach Bogosian, you've got so many righties. You're loaded on the blue line, which, you know, in theory means, okay, you're going to have a good defense. But how do you manage that logjam? Uh, I know I'm asking you sort of multiple questions at once here, but let's just sort of put it under one umbrella and just say, what do you think about the changes, and is this team better as a result of the changes on the blue line? Well, the changes, I, I think the answer to that is the changes aren't done on this blue line. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Ristolainen no starts the season as a Buffalo Sabre. He can't. Yeah. It's just a waste, yeah. and, they, yeah. and that's not a knock on him. It's just a waste of a good trade chip. Right. When you can't fit every guy in the lineup anyway. Exactly. And he doesn't want to be there and they don't it doesn't seem like they're you know really super high on keeping him there. Um so that so that so I think he's he's gone before the season starts. I think the Montour acquisition was huge last year and a full year there. Uh he's lefty, right? He's right. He's Another a righty. righty. Yeah. He's a righty. Okay. Everybody's so, yeah. a righty. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so so yeah, you know, I think that's a good one. Um you know, they got a, they probably got uh, you know, a little uh, little more gritty on the on the on the back end as well. Um you know, and this is a team again that struggled that struggled defensively. So, you know, I mean, you're going to assume that Rasmus Dahlin is, you know, and he said it himself. He said the last 20 games he was gassed. He was gassed this year. That's not going to happen next year. Mm-hmm. I mean, you would ass- or you would assume that's not going to happen. You would think that Rasmus Ristolainen has trained this summer and made himself into the kind of player that's going to be able to play at a, at a pretty high level, which he did for a lot of the season mm-hmm. for 82 or games. Dahlin, you're saying, right? Dahlin. Sorry, so so many Rasmuses. Rasmus, There's also yes. Rasmus Asplund. Dahlin, yep. yes, yes. So, yeah, so I, I think I think there is an uptick there for sure. Yeah, and what I like about this new look Sabres blue line is that you have a lot of different options. You know, Miller and Yoki Haru give you more flexibility. It gives you more internal competition. And, yeah, I agree. Like, you're going to get something for Ristolainen. Maybe it's a left-shot defenseman. Maybe it's a really good forward, a draft picks, who knows. But as they are now, you have enough guys that can pull minutes that if something's not working, you can try something else. And I think having that sort of internal thrust will really help, particularly when Bogosian comes back. And even before he's back on the ice, he's just a really good guy in the room yeah. for all these young guys. He already has been for Rasmus Dahlin. Uh, I think that's going to continue, and we're going to see some maturation from these young players. And if they can get the puck up to some of the guys like Eichel and Skinner, that's going to make the job so much easier for everyone. Bogosian, though, has become that guy that you literally cannot count on to be in the lineup from, yeah, one, from one week to the next. That's yeah. the problem, yeah, too. Yeah, body's broken and, down. And I think a big part of, of, of an upgrade here is if, if Lawrence Pilat would change his name to Pierre, they'd be in, <laughs> in great shape. And I really think I, I would love for uh, Jason Botterill to trade Ristolainen for a two-way center because last year, I know you had to. You were in a situation you had to trade Ryan O'Reilly, but the problem the ripple effect because Patrick Berglund flamed out of course uh, it forced Casey Middlestat into a role for which he was not ready number two center mm-hmm. and he was a big disappointment relative to expectations you need a guy that can take on the tough assignments to take the pressure off Middlestat exactly what the Flyers have done pushing Nolan Patrick down to the third line that's what Buffalo needs to, needs to do with Casey Middlestat that's why I was saying they really needed Kevin Hayes in my opinion Buffalo so if you could trade with Lyon for that kind of player I think that would be great news, but we'll see. Uh, last question about the Sabres is, Jeff Skinner, are we going to get good Jeff Skinner, bad Jeff Skinner? He alternates. He's the new Alexei Kovalev. 
can never have two good years in a row. My theory is that that, that streak's going to end because now he's with Jack Eichel again. Yeah. He's going to yeah. be good two years in a row. Agree or disagree? I, I would agree with that. Yeah. I agree. He's, yeah. he's healthy. He's got good line mates. He's got an up-and-coming team. I think this is all Jeff Skinner needs to set the table. And he's been around for a long time, but he's only, what, 26, 27? I think he, he was a yeah. rookie. He was eight years old as a rookie. Yes, yeah, yeah. I think. Yes, I and now he's, he was, now yeah. he's yeah. probably like 14. <laughs> yeah. or, but he's great in the new Spider-Man movies. <laughs> <laughs> Next up at number seven in the Atlantic, we have the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, to me, this might be, including the Ottawa Senators, I think the Red Wings might be the most talent-deficient team at least in the East, maybe even the NHL. I think Steve Eiserman's walking into a pretty big mess. They have some prospects coming, I know, but most of those guys won't be on the team yet this year. Yep. Um, what do you think Eiserman's going to do with the salary situation? Because Ken Holland, you know, he left a bit of a mess. Eiserman was known for cleaning up really tricky situations in Tampa. Can he do it again with Detroit's salary situation? Is he allowed to drop an anvil on Darren Helm's foot? <laughs> I thought you were going to say oh, on Darren Helm. Nice. I was like, no. that Ryan. I was that's like, nice. that's dark, man. It's not. It's yeah. not. On no. foot? Okay. Foot. He'd be fine. <laughs> as long as he has his umbrella. Um, I, I don't know. It, it just kind of feels like the contracts he has to deal with now are like really unmovable. Like yeah, Helm and Abdelkader. Where, and, and I don't think anybody's going to be like helping out. You know, like you would have to give up some good prospects in order to unload those contracts. So you have to sort of do the the calculus if you're Steve Eiserman as to, okay, how badly do we need to offload these contracts or do we just eat them for a couple of years? Because we don't have to really pay anybody right now. I mean, all our best players are still on their way up other than Dylan Larkin. So do you just kind of live with it? and work around the salary cap and those guys take on you know pretty small roles maybe seattle helps you out somewhere but i my my worry would be that if you try to move those contracts you lose a good prospect and i I just don't think detroit needs to do that right now i think steve eiserman has so much going for him as the you know, the hero of Detroit returning to the organization to clean things up. I think the fan base is willing to give him time. I just came back from Traverse City where they have the Prospects Tournament. It's run by the Red Wings. Eight NHL teams are involved. The Red Wings actually won the tournament this year. It was only the second time they've ever done that. The crowd loved Mort Sider. Like, loved him. There's a lot of goodwill right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I could I, I couldn't agree with you more, Ryan. I could not agree with you more. I mean if the if the intent was to either buy out those guys or move them for a loss why do you hire Steve Eiserman, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, Ken Holland could have done that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, part of the reason why you hired Steve Eiserman is because he's a, a really, really good at what he does. And secondly, is to is to foster some goodwill and to buy some time in this organization for these guys to get better. Yeah, it resets so why, the clock a little yeah, bit. Yeah, so like, like really, like, is Detroit looking at this year making a run for the playoffs? Probably not. So, like, why are you going to do that just to make a run for the playoffs when you've got to have guys that can play in the NHL on your team, right? You know, it's all well and good to say you got to give this to the young guys, you got to give these chances to the young guys, but you got to have guys that 
played in the league and yeah. know what to expect and can and like so so these guys now can maybe just become the elder statesmen the mentors you know these are the guys that bring in the young guys that that the young guys live with yeah you know that take them out to dinner yeah, yeah take them out to dinner you know work out with them in the summer I know that I know that uh, that that Holland said to you know a lot of the young guys in previous years is you stay in Detroit in the summer and you follow Dar- Darren Helm around like a little puppy dog mm. because he's going to tell you what you have to do in the summer to be able to be an NHL player. So that's where their value would lie. You know, forget about the fact that you're overpaying them and you're not getting the production out of them. That's done. That ship has sailed and you're not getting out of it. So make them useful for something else and have, you know, pros around that that have played and and have some experience. It's it's something that a a head scout of a team told me last year and and really reminds me of what you're saying. It's just that, you know, when a team gets a culture of losing and you, you kind of look at like let's say the Arizona Coyotes of the past decade it's like if you have if you don't have enough yep. veterans then you yep. just all they can do is learn to lose and lose and lose yep. and you have to have someone to lead them even just a couple of guys I think that's why they brought in Valtteri Filppula as well um, but switching over to the kids, you know, Philip Zadina, I think, is a guy that if there's any Red Wing under pressure this season, a young kid, maybe it's it's Zadina um, because you look at his draft year 2018. You know, he's a guy that we some of us projected as high as two or three in that draft class. So we thought it was a steal. He falls to six. He makes this prophecy. Everyone's going to be sorry. I'm going to fill the nets of the teams that didn't pick me. And he ends up not quite being ready for prime time last year, just getting a quick cup of coffee. So this year, uh, do you see Zadina making an impact and being a surprise Calder candidate? Or do you think it's going to be still a while? Because, you know, the Red Wings have sort of a reputation of taking their time yeah. with most of their kids. And I, and I do not for that reason. I mm-hmm. do not for that reason. And all you have to do is look at Anthony Mantha. That was a guy that a couple mm-hmm. of years ago they almost gave up on. You know, and now he's part of this core, right? And there's nothing wrong with there. There will be if Philip Zadina spends the entire year in the American Hockey League. I do not view that as a failure. You know what? What I'd like to see is for Philip Zadina to spend the entire year in the American Hockey League and to tear it up, mm. and for them to not to not to be able to resist the temptation right. to bring him up at some point, right? Yeah. Give him a good situation. Grand Rapids always. It seems They're like Grand Rapids always has a good team. Yep. They're always in contention. They win championships sometimes. You know, make him a part of that. Go down to the American Hockey League, play there all year, dominate at that level. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mika Rantanen. Mika Rantanen did that. Yeah, right. Like absolutely tore right. up the so AHL. I can't, I can't yeah. say I can't say that that Grand Rapids is going to win an, a Calder Cup this year because mm-hmm. I, I, quite frankly, don't mm-hmm. know how they are in relation to everybody else yeah. but, Don't tell but go that. down there rip it up yeah. become a pro learn it learn the game you know maybe win a couple of playoff rounds or a championship and then you're ready yeah you know Zadina was at Traverse City again this year and he had a lot of points early um, but when it came to the back end of the tournament when when we were there he was good, but he wasn't their best player, and he wasn't even their best forward. Joe Valena was their best forward. When they had to make a comeback against Dallas in the championship game, it was Joe Valeno and Giovanni Smith that did all the damage. So, I mean, if I'm looking right now, now Joe Valeno is, is going to go to Grand Rapids because even though he's uh, he would have junior eligibility. He's got that extra He's year. got the exceptional yeah. status where he came to uh, the Quebec League a year early, so he can actually go to the AHL as a 19-year-old even though he's Canadian. Um, Zadina, he's got the great moves, but 
I want to see more of him in crunch time. I want to see more finish from him when it matters. And, yeah, I agree. If, if he plays in Grand Rapids all year, set goals there. Get 100 points in the AHL. Exactly. How many times exactly. does that happen these days? It hardly ever happens in the AHL. Yeah. If you, if you get... 80 points in the AHL, you, you, you almost win the scoring championship. Yeah, yeah. I, think. I think 83 won yeah, it last yeah, year or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah, rip it up. Yeah. Uh, and lastly, and this is a bigger picture question, does Detroit want to be good this year? And I, and I posit that they should not want to be good this year. You have a really exciting draft class. And of course, if, you know, you'd love to get Lefrenier, but it's it's a draft class where if you don't win the first overall pick, you still have a chance to get a really great player. Yeah. 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 It's, a, it's a sexy draft class. Yeah. Uh, so should Detroit not really be caring about winning? You can't tank, I know, but you can just sort of let the roster, like, you know, you could do things like keep Sedina in Grand Rapids, knowing that he might actually be NHL ready. Yeah, yeah. Because that yeah, way it'll yeah. keep the team from rising too much and yeah. it's going to give you yeah. more ping pong balls. To me, this is a year, especially because the top of the Atlantic is so strong right now. Like, Detroit's years away anyway, so you may as well treat this as a year to get another big-time asset. Sure, no? yeah. And, and I'm not sure it matters whether they want to be good or not. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. think it matters. It will like, be this, imposed this on them. Would, <laughs> you know, this is not a team that you would say, you know, if it if it got off to, if it was in last place overall, you, you'd say, you know, wow, they're tanking. Like, they're not, you, yeah. you. They're just existing. Yeah, you said yeah. it. I mean, they're, they're, they're bereft of talent in a lot of areas. And so, you yeah, just ride that until you can build up that base, which you are doing right now. For sure, yeah. yeah. They had a lot of great high-end prospects in Traverse City and then you look at this draft yeah Lafreniere is the number one prospect right now he's a winger but then you got Quinton Byfield who is a huge center you got Alex Holtz and Lucas Raymond yeah. both wingers from Sweden who are incredible um, you know you got Cole Perfetti, Cole Perfetti who's a yeah. winger yep. uh, out of Saginaw and he is incredibly dynamic so you can add to what's already an impressive bunch of young forwards and get somebody really nice to go with that Okay, at the bottom of the Atlantic Division, we have the team that I think is the most clearly defined Scorch Earth rebuild squad, the Ottawa Senators. And I've said to people recently that I'm kind of happy for Ottawa because they've endured so much hell, on ice hell, off ice hell. They've traded Eric Carlson, Mark Stone, Matt Duchesne. They've sort of just blown up the franchise and they're finally at that rock bottom. And that means you can start rising up and they've got this mountain of good prospects uh, to build around and, and speaking of that I'm wondering uh, if any of the kids are ready to take that step forward now and become true star caliber leaders so I'm looking at Thomas Shabbat on defense Brady Kachuk on left wing maybe somebody else uh, but do you think it's their time now well I don't know if it's their time but I, I do think that they're going to get the chance to put their stamp on this team just because there's nobody else, right? Um, they're they're the top guys they have, and and somebody's got to play the power play. Somebody's got to get the points. Somebody's got to log the ice time. And so it's it, by by virtue of the fact that there's really not a lot else there that these guys are going to do that. I, I think you're right, Matt. I think the soap opera for the most part, except for the ownership and the the arena issue, is is over in Ottawa. So now they can just kind of be bad and and. And, and young, and I look at this as, and and I certainly don't hope it ends up to be being the same fate because, and I don't think it will. But I look at this as a Quebec Nordiques 
sort of, uh, you know, the bottoming out and, and then mm. rising again. I thought that was um, like a, a, a Freudian slip as in like, wait, are they going to move to Quebec? Yeah, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're saying but, late 80s. Yeah, Nordiques. exactly. Yeah. And, and I think that, I think they are, you know, they like they have, what, 17 first round picks this year, right. 45 and all, uh, yeah. you know, and, and to your point, in Detroit, they're gonna they're going to get a better. They're gonna add to that this year because they have their first round pick, yeah. and uh, and yeah, I, I think that uh, I think that these young guys are gonna are gonna be they're gonna be good bad team players right now, um, but they're gonna they also I think are gonna be good good team players once mm-hmm. this team gets good. Right, I think Thomas Shabbat is basically there already based on the amount of minutes he played and just what we've seen from him as a a puck rushing defenseman. I think Brady Kachuk's gonna hit that this year as well. Well, even though he is so young, just everything we've seen from Brady Kachuk indicates that he's going to be really hard to play against in his NHL career. And, you know, he's a talented kid. He's got that great pedigree uh, through the Kachuk family. I think he's there. Uh, For me, what's going to be interesting is to see what can Logan Brown do this year? What can Drake Batherson do this year? Because the opportunities are out there and you know there's a lot of spots Eric Brandstrom on defense I talked to Pierre Dorian the GM in the summer and he was saying like yeah these guys if they have a good fall we have spots open they got to mm-hmm. earn them but mm-hmm. we do have jobs available and it'll be interesting to see if those kids can earn jobs and stick with those jobs mm-hmm. I think that's the value of this season in Ottawa is to see who really stands out right and I think too. I think I think too. We talked about this before. Is having that veteran experience. They've got Ron Hainsey. Yeah. And they've got our team, Artem Anisimov, as you know, a depth guy, but guys that have been there. Stanley can, Cup winners can, can help show the way. Like mm. they're not, you know, the, the the contribution on the ice is almost secondary at this point. Yeah. You know, these guys are there to help these young guys stay grounded. So when. The losing streak does hit nine games. You're you're not dying every day coming to the rink, right? And, and I do see a lot of potential for Thomas Shabbat, uh, not just as a great two way player, but as a leader. And I saw it firsthand last year because I went to Ottawa to do a story on all the kids, and we did a kind of a fun thing where I interviewed. Uh, it was Brady Kachuk, Shabbat, Colin White, and Max mm. Lajoie all at the same time. It was just us in a room, which was made for a funny, kind of awkward interview setup, but it was fun. But every time they were stumped on an answer, every guy in the room would just turn his head and look over to Thomas Shabbat, because it was like <laughs> all the rookies and the sophomore, and Shabbat would kind of dutifully answer first. And I saw this like leadership dynamic. They really looked up to him. It was very like adorable. It was like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. hey, big brother, can you answer this one for us? <laughs> we're stumped. But but it, to me, it said something. It showed that Shabbat was already being looked at uh, as a leader on this franchise and I think that trend will continue on top of the great play um, but an area of concern in my opinion for Ottawa is goaltending so mm-hmm. you're relying on Craig Anderson as your starter who's pushing 40 years old Anders Nielsen probably a stopgap and I know that Ottawa they you know in the draft they got a great prospect this year right in Matt Sogard it was, mm-hmm. it was Sogard right yeah. so and they and you've got some exciting kids on the farm but it doesn't seem like anyone is ready or anywhere close to ready to being an NHL caliber goaltender so what are they going to do is there anybody that is a the possible goalie of the future for for Ottawa or is this going to be a problem for a while well I think they have a couple of options uh you know Philip Gustafson uh has just come over recently to North America still finding his way 
but he has a pretty good pedigree to him. Uh, they originally they got him via trade with Pittsburgh a couple of years ago. The only the other name I would look at is Joey Decord. Uh, you know, this is a player who uh, was Arizona State's goaltender, and his first couple of years with the Sun Devils were really hard. Uh, but last year he was amazing, and they made the NCAA tournament for the first time in program history. And the program had only been around for a couple of years. You know, I, I saw Coach Greg Powers speak in the summer at a coaches seminar, and he was saying that, you know, the first couple of years, Decord wasn't having fun, and it showed on the ice. He was overthinking things. He just wasn't in the zone. And then a light bulb went off for the third year, and he f- figured it out. He was having fun out there, and it translated. Decord's got good size. Uh, he actually got into one game with the Senators last year, which was nice. First Arizona State player ever in the NHL. I think he could have the potential. Obviously, you don't want to rush him. You want to see him get a, a lot of games in the HL first. But I think that would potentially be uh, a, a nice sort of diamond in the rough that they found in the draft. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to defer to you on, on these guys, Ryan, because you're the one who studies them. But, um, you know, you look at, at the guy they took, Matt Sogard, who uh, is, you know, he blocks out the sun, right? Like yeah. He's, like my Six head. foot yeah, seven. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and, but he's had his struggles, you yeah. know, and I don't, and I don't think that there's anybody who can sit here right now and say Matt Sogard is even going to be an NHL goalie for sure. We don't know. We don't know. And if he does, it's going to take time. He's going to take, he's going to take probably four or five more years to get to that spot. So, um, yeah, it is a bit of a black hole for them right now. But, uh, you know, they're not at a, like, like they're like Detroit. They're not at a state where they have to really worry about that because, okay, so, so you lose 3-2 or 5-2 or 6-2. and Maybe it's a good thing. Like, you're you're getting scored on yeah. you're like oh damn yeah, yeah yeah and so by the time this team is good i mean you can find goalies you can find you can goalies, find goalies. Mm-hmm. there you know i mean minnesota f- picked Devin dubnik off the scrap heap mm-hmm. and so you know i mean you can find a guy if you if you need him but i i don't know that that's a big need right now for them fair uh and, and lastly okay so we have ottawa as the favorite to finish last overall last in the atlantic division but we live in a universe in which an expansion team goes to the Stanley Cup. A last place team on January 3rd wins the Stanley Cup. It's very clear that absolutely anything can happen yep. in the NHL right now. So is there any chance in your mind that Ottawa is a surprise team this year? No. No. <laughs> Steve, Steven, Steve, no. Audio, producer Steven just shook his head like with disdain. Like, really? hell, hell no. no. Uh, but sorry, answer the question first, fellas. Uh, the answer is no. Yeah, there's, there's just, there's I, not I, enough. I mean, anything can happen. Yeah, but that come is on. true. Let's be, let's be realistic. But realistically, yeah. realistically, they're going to struggle mightily. They're in a tough I mean, division, and they're really young, and they're going to want to play their young guys. And those guys are going to make mistakes. That's okay. That's what this season is for. It's for figuring out what they have. It's for getting experience for a lot of nice blue chip players that they have accrued over the past couple of years. It's not about winning. That's fine. They might accidentally win some of the times, but this is all about process. It's not about results. And I'm worried that the hockey world now is going to, this is going to be the mantra that anything could happen. Right, right. And now that's going to be the big thing. St. Louis was in 31st place 
on January 3rd because they might have been the most underachieving group of hockey players in the history of the game. Yeah. You know, that's why they were so good in the second half and won the Stanley Cup as opposed to being in last place. They they were huge underachievers. Yeah. If Ottawa is in 24th place at Christmas, it's because they're going to have overachieved yes. big time. Mm. So we got to be realistic here. I don't think anything can happen. Sometimes anything can happen, but it's still the exception rather than the rule. And I think a lot of people in hockey are going to get caught up on this. Oh, yeah, just get in and anything can happen and all this stuff. When in reality, things happen for a reason because you're the better team. And most of the time, talent wins and the better team wins. I'm going to hit you guys with a sizzling take. All right. Whoa. Ottawa finishes 7th in the, in the Atlantic, not 8th. Okay. And Ottawa finishes 29th overall. More points than Detroit and L.A. All right, that, uh, that's not sizzling. Yeah, I, can, well, I, was I, being, I was being sarcastic. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. Good, good job, need, bro. Way to sell <laughs> it. didn't pick up on that, eh? I thought <laughs> it was pretty clear. But still, seventh, not eighth. Okay. Okay? So that concludes the Atlantic Preview Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it, everybody. Next up, we're going alphabetical. So, A, B, C. That means the Central Division is next. <laughs>